0: Newspaper since 1971. Voters time on the Vendrovsky show as I speak. It's Friday, March 11th, 2022. The headline in New York Times. Just so depressing. Uh, every day we wake up and see headlines like this. Uh, Russia renews ground push with relentless bombing, uh, death and destruction, carnage uh, in Ukraine. And a sense of helplessness. I know I speak for a lot of people when I say this. Uh, It's just a sense of helplessness in the world. Like, what can we possibly do that? I was just having a conversation about that, very brief conversation about that with uh, my next guest, my distinguished guest. Uh, So as I always do uh, with our bonus shows, I ask our distinguished guests to introduce themselves, and then we get down to it. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself.
1: My name is Rosana Rodriguez, and I am the elder woman of the 33rd Ward.
0: Yes. And she is a proud lefty. Uh, She is a Democratic Socialist. She ran against the Mel organization and defeated the Mel's. And uh, I must confess, folks, don't get mad at me, old Richard Mel. But I was cheering Rosanna on. You know I was anyway, old man Mel. Uh, And son-in-law Blagojevich, you know I was as well. Uh, And since you took office, uh, they come after you hard. The Mel's come after you. Uh, Lori Lightfoot comes after you. Um, just anybody who is trying to beat up a symbol of a democratic socialism or beat up a symbol of lefty politics, uh, Rosanna, they come after you hard. And so I give you a lot of credit uh, for standing up to them. Uh, so wait, before I do it, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm fair. Have there, has there been an outreach from mayor Lori Lightfoot since the last time you were on our show saying, you know what, Rosanna, I really regret some of the mean, nasty things I've said about you or tweeted or not tweeted or texted to you. Anything like, anything like, uh, some peace and love has the mayor sent any peace and love your way, uh, in the last couple of weeks or so?
1: No, she hasn't. And that would be really out of character. Um, so if she did, I would be incredibly suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because because it, it that is not who I have come to to know as the mayor of Chicago.
0: Well let's talk about that uh a little bit with some details. Uh since the last time we we're in the show, the mayor got caught in some embarrassing exchanges. Uh this the one that pops to my mind, which we talked a lot about last week. Uh, was where she, according to a lawsuit, uh, she got into uh, really got into it, uh, with a couple of lawyers who used to work for the park district. Uh, one of them f- sued uh, the city, and uh, he alleges that she said to him along the lines, something along the lines of uh, uh, well, she paraded him saying that, uh, what you asking, what law did you school did you go to, and uh, did you even graduate from law school? Uh, and then she said, uh, somehow or other, got into the subject of dicks. And she said, "I have, I have the biggest dick in Chicago." That was a quote. Uh, and um, so, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has not denied. Interesting enough, uh, Rosanna that she said that. It's more like she's just gi- given one of those great. Uh, non-denials denials denials, where she just denounces the idea that she could ever say anything nasty without saying oh yeah (laughs) one way or another did I say it Uh, your general thoughts uh, on that um, those allegations of abuse from uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot
1: sure and I I was not in the room so I don't know if she said it or not the issue is that we have come to gotten really used to the ways in which she um, treats people the ways in which she relates to people and that is that particular thing is something that is not beyond, you know, something that, that I would think that she would do. Um, which is sad. It's sad that people have come to expect this kind of behavior, uh, from this mayor. I, I, I think it's terrible. I think that nobody deserves to be treated like that in their jobs. Um, and you know, and trying to, to execute their functions. Um, it, it is a it's also an interesting situation because on the other side the people who you know have been making a lot of noise is the columbus loving italians that are super angry at her because she took down the columbus status and I, I i really dislike um the the politics of of those people and i hate the fact that they continue to push to have columbus as a as somebody that deserves some to be honored somehow in our in our city. Uh, but that doesn't take away the fact from the fact that the mayor is wrong to treat people like that. That that these were two people that are employed by the park district and nobody deserves to be treated like that. Um, I think it's really sad. I think I think people expect us to do better. Um, I know that she has said. A couple of times that other mayors have acted like this and nobody, you know, says anything because they were white men. I don't think that's true. I think a lot of us were really pissed at Rahm Emanuel and he, I mean, we ran him out of this city because we were so pissed at him. But even if that was the case, she ran to do something different. She ran on a platform to do away with that kind of politics and then she came in to do exactly the same and then defend her right to do the same, <laughs> I just, I think that's wild, and I I it is it I find it really sad and depressing, and I'm hoping that we can move away from that kind of politics soon because I think people are really tired of it.
0: All right, uh, I just have to let it be known that I, I spent a much of the Rahm Emanuel years ripping Rahm for his behavior, uh, and a good chunk of the daily years uh, ripping him for his behavior. I think it's intolerable. Whenever I say this, whenever I put this out, somebody will push back, Rosanna, and say something along the lines of this. Well, Ben, you don't understand. You're just some writer for the reader. Uh, you're some old hippie up in your attic. You don't understand. When you run a big city like the city of Chicago, it's a tough city, and you got to be tough, and you got to swear people and parade Berate people and let them know that you're the kingpin and you run things in this town. Okay? That's how you have to treat people in the city of Chicago. Oh, that's generally what people say to me. What you, I'm sure you've heard variations on that theme uh, in your life here in Chicago. So what's your response when people say, well, you got to be a real tough SOB to run the city of Chicago?
1: But I thought that we were trying to make Chicago into a different kind of city. <laughs> I thought that we were trying to make Chicago into... Um, a city that is that that takes care like a caring kind of city you know I thought that we were trying to um to be transparent I thought that we were trying to have good government that is not good government and I don't want to you know resign myself to continue to have machine politics and like situations in which you have to threaten people to to get what you need I don't want that I really don't want that and I you know in my time in city council I think that I have not engaged in that kind of behavior um and and I don't allow anybody to you know to to engage with me in that kind of way um those things need to be called out I'm actually glad that it came out and that people are seeing more and more of who this mayor is like when all of those texts were leaked I mean it's outrageous some of those texts are outrageous the ways in which she relates to to many of my colleagues you know um there are people that I mean with me the the conversations are always very straightforward and it's me offering something or or saying something demanding something of her and her like being incredibly disrespectful um so at some point i just stopped engaging with her and i don't really have any any other texts that people can show there is however an email and i don't know if you saw this um an email on Twitter because the mayor came to my ward after uh, an episode of shots fired, and they did a roll call in my ward, and they did not communicate with me. And you know, after I learned about the fact, because people didn't understand why the alderman was not there after a violent incident, but there was other electeds, right? Um, I I emailed her, and her response back was. Just so unhelpful, so disres- disrespectful, so condescending. I am. I don't really feel like you want to like do any sort of collaborative government, right? And that, that's that's what I want in Chicago: some collaborative government and mayors that actually have the best interests of every community at heart, and not just their own.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Rosanna. Uh, just thinking about what you were saying, collaborative government. Uh, I'm a lefty. And I'm going to speak for myself and you respond. I'm a lefty, but I do believe uh, how you treat people, how a mayor treats uh, his or her constituents, his or her council uh, colleagues is very important. Sort of the, 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 um, the demeanor you have that it sends out a vibration, if I could use an old hippie term from back in the day. And uh, I believe in sending out a positive vibration, not a negative one. And I would vote for somebody that I don't agree with 100% on ideology, okay? There's very few people with my lefty ideology to begin with. Uh, they usually come on my show, so you know who they are. But I would be willing to vote for someone if I felt that like, they would just it just be a whole new uh, image for the city of Chicago and how you treat people, etc. cetera. Uh, do you share my belief on that? Like, could you find yourself voting for someone that you don't agree with on every single point just because you thought they were a good human being that would treat folks with respect?
1: Um, I, I think so. I could see myself um, doing that. I think that it depends on what are the things that we don't agree on, right? Because if we, for example, are talking about a neoliberal... <laughs> <laughs> a neoliberal politician that treats people nicely i am not going to go for that um, so I, I think that i think that those points are important and need to be um need to be talked about and uh, and negotiated um i expect a bare minimum from a mayor in a city like chicago and in the moment that we're in um i think that we need to strengthen government and public services and that's something that i have had a lot of trouble inside of city council because the neoliberal model has just got it um when when we we, we, sometimes we talk about defund the police but the reality is that we have defunded everything else (laughs) we have defunded the department of health we have defunded the department of family and support services we have fundamentally defunded all of the structures that keep like societies healthy and and in place right so i if if somebody that I don't agree 100% with, but it has to be, um, you know, we have to agree on some basic stuff at least.
0: All right. Uh, since you mentioned defund the police, let's get to it. Uh, Arnie Duncan, a former uh, education secretary, was briefly thinking, obviously, of running for mayor, let it be known that he was thinking about running for mayor, put out a bunch of ideas about policing and uh, criminal justice that for, for the city of Chicago, and I, I make this a point. For the city of Chicago, we're fairly radical. Uh, he 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 talked about uh, uh, maybe we, we got to rethink how many police we have in the forest. We have to rethink some of the assignments that police handle. Uh, we have to rethink about how we're dealing with mental health issues. Uh, we can't, we, uh, we have to rethink about uh, arresting people, mass arrests for gun violations. A lot of stuff that, like, whoa, I, a mainstream politician? That sounds like Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez territory to me. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, <laughs> Lori, and this is coming from a mainstream Dem. And then Lori Lightfoot uh, responded by going, trashing him, calling it defund the police. He's a defund the police. Threw a few elbows at him, and the next thing you know, Arnie Duncan dropped out of the race. Uh, I was teasing. Uh, or Pete Cunningham was on the show the other day. He was Arnie's the speechwriter. I was teasing him. I go, man, a couple of elbows from Lori, and that all it took to get your boy out of the race. Um, but I think there's a like a larger parable out there. Uh, you know the where we're at politically right now. You can't even discuss. You can't even be a Dem. You can't be the demmiest of Dems. From the Barack Obama, Rama, Manuel, Richard M. Daly camp, and talk about rethinking police, and they're going to turn you in to the second coming of Benny J. I mean, it's insane out there, Rosanna. It's just the pushback is really strong. Take it away and give your thoughts.
1: Oh, I, I if you look at my Twitter account and you see like the amount of people who come for me every single day because of my positions on policing it's it's wild it's wild it's aggressive is um it's it's very very intense um I mean as you know I I ran on this I I won my safe by 13 votes I I recognized that I you know I didn't it was not a landslide um I I continue to believe in what I proposed originally, I think, and I and I actually I'm pretty aligned with the ideas that Arnie Duncan has um in terms of violence interruption, in terms of outreach work, in terms of um uh the idea of handing a lot of the tasks that are taking up a lot of the police time to to actually the right interventions. Um one thing that I would actually love to discuss with, with Arnie Duncan is how do we do that, right? Because one of the fears that I have, and this is something that is very real and that I observe all the time, is that because the Department of Health and the Department of Family and Support Services and, and other departments have been um, defunded, a lot of that work goes to nonprofits now, When you have nonprofits handling issues that are as important as mental health crisis, which we are talking about as a public safety and public health issue, you can't have people going out there and taking the brunt of that work and making like $40,000 a year with like master's degrees. Or working part time, not having a pension, not having benefits, not being able to care for themselves or their families. That's not fair. And I have brought this to this administration several times because I feel like we actually have to create a robust system within the either, you know, it could be the, the public health department, which would be my preference. Where we actually have teams of care in communities that can prevent crises, teams that are going into the CTA, teams that are, you know, in the libraries, in the parks, wherever there are people who are homeless, people who are experiencing mental health crisis. Um, but those people need to get paid. And I, one of the things that I struggle with a lot is like, OK, yeah, we're going to do all of this. We're going to bring these people. They're going to take care of it for how much? How are you going to make sure that these people are taken care of if you are actually expecting for them to take over, you know, the brunt of all of this trauma? And and I don't see that moving. You know, we have money to pay for police pensions, but we don't have money to pay for, for pension for social workers. And I, you know, if we are serious about, if we're serious about safety, if we're serious about public health, we have to invest in in those spaces and i don't see that happening you know so when you say can you support somebody that you you know don't agree on everything The how is going to be as important as the what you know and i i, I am definitely not going to jump in a bandwagon that is just going to bring um non-profit workers underpaid um exploited non-profit workers to to do this really important work
0: uh, that uh, riff that you went on uh, raises uh, an issue in my head that I've been talking about for a long time and that it doesn't get a lot of traction. I'm going to throw it out there because I really don't care anymore if it doesn't get traction. And that is this We live in a capitalist society, Rosanna Rodriguez. You know this. You're a democratic socialist, but you're in the minority and I'm in the minority. Okay? This is a very much a capitalist society. And in capitalism, your value is more or less determined by the amount of money you earn. And that's just a fact of capitalism. So like the best baseball player, the best basketball player, they make top salary because their value, they're really valuable to a capitalist system. When you pay someone, you $40,000 sounds pretty generous for what social workers are getting. You pay $40,000 to deal with people who are on the edge about to lose their minds for the madness that's going on around. That's society's way of saying to those people, "We don't value what you do." And I've said this about public school teachers. I'm like, why does any public school teacher get embarrassed about asking for more money? I thought the children are the future. You know, to uh, I thought that's what it was all about. We serve children, so the person in the front lines of serving the children should be getting. Good money. So why are why are they embarrassed about having to ask for more money? So you raise a very good point, and we could be we're heading in the opposite direction. I mean, you see this with the budgets, right? They they they're proud of themselves when they fire someone who got a good job, gets a pension, so is like a solid citizen. How do we change that around, Rosanna? How do we change that attitude around where somehow or other all we care about is cutting money from valuable programs and instead reverse it so we're investing money in those programs?
1: We, I mean, organizing, making noise, <laughs> making them get sick of us. Like in the last budget, uh, we were able to add positions to work on the mental health clinics. It's the only reason why I voted for the budget, which was a very hard thing to do because, I mean, I it was a budget that was also giving... An incredible amount of money to police. Now, that was already baked in because the contract passed and um, the, the 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 labor contract for for the police. Um, so we couldn't really do anything about that, but we were able to get a seventy percent increase in the in in positions in staffing for the public mental health clinics, which take us in the opposite direction of what we have been going, which is cutting. Right. So we did not get to expand the mental health clinics or reopen, but we did get staffing in order to be able to um, to strengthen the, the operation of the mental health clinics. And I'm really proud that we did that because it took over 10 years for us to be able to get to a point where we pressured enough and we made enough noise that if no, you have to invest in these clinics and we have a lot more to do for that. But the only reason why that happened It's because we have been organizing with uh, CCW, the the Coalition for the Collaborative for Community Wellness, and these are like over 40 organizations, right, that have been there all the time, (laughs) making noise, making noise, making noise. We need to reopen the mental health clinics, like throwing in their faces because Lori Lightfoot actually... Um, committed to reopening the mental health clinics, and then she decided she's not going to do it. Um, But we ran on these things. We promised people that we were going to reopen those clinics and we were going to expand services, and we have not done that, right? Um, So I, I think that the only way that we... Get things is by organizing, is by exercising people power. Um, currently, I'm working on trying to create an unpolice crisis response system, but I also want to create something that is bigger than that, and it has a lot to do with what um, Arnie Duncan has also talked about. We need to we need to be able to use some of the resources that police has right now in order to create the structures of care that are going to take away the things that police is not trained to do, and that shouldn't be doing, and that is occupying most of their time, right? So if we never create those structures, we're always going to be in a position where you keep saying, we need more police, we need more police, we need more police. But the reality is that most of what police is doing is not what what regular people that are claiming for more police right now want them to be doing, right? Um. So, so that that has been a really hard fight with the Department of Health. Um, I don't know if you remember when we first proposed. Um, I introduced the uh, Crisis Response and Care Council Order in September of 2020. Uh, before the budget, the mayor came out. And what I was proposing was the creation of a, of a mental health crisis response that is non-police, that is like a Kahoot style model, um, which is the program in Oregon that sends clinicians and EMTs for to deal with mental health crisis, and that use the mental health clinics as part of the structure, right, uh, to be able to provide service and to give continuity of care. Um, I mean, the mayor went and, you know, talked about the, the budget and gave her budget uh, speech. And she talked, I mean, she didn't say my name, but she said, well, some people want to, <laughs> some people um, want to do whatever they're doing in some city over there that is not like Chicago. You have to test this on the streets of Chicago. <laughs> and you're like, why, why are you talking like that? Is Are the people with mental illness in Chicago different? Is it because we have... A lot of black and brown people here in the city that you're saying that I'm not exactly sure what is it that you're insinuating, but we had a hearing last Friday where CDPH gave an update on the pilot programs that were created for mental health crisis response. The non-police pilot that we demanded is not running yet, but they did a co-responder model that sends police alongside clinicians and EMTs and whatever they They explained to us that so far they have responded to 134 calls um, and there has been no arrest and no use of force. And I asked them, so what has police been doing when you (laughs) take them to the scene? (laughs) And they were like, um, they introduced themselves to people <laughs> and I'm like okay I, I understand that but what exactly the role of police is can you explain to me when you respond to 134 calls for mental health crisis you bring police with you but you are not using police are we saying that we're trying to gather enough data to then remove police from the equation because this is also about creating new structures it's not just using the same thing that we have, we keep saying that the police is overstretched, but you keep using them. So you're wasting resources, right? But they were—they are not open to that. And I, I think that this also has to do with, with, you know, the idea of defund, the idea that, oh, you cannot take resources away from here, even if they're desperately needed. So it, it is a fight. They are committed to do a non-police, like a, they call it a civilian um, response team. It's not on the ground yet. We're waiting for it to be on the ground and we're going to keep fighting for it. Like there's no way that we are just going to, you know, turn around and be like, "Oh, OK, what you're doing is fine. No, we, we need this response for the whole city and we need to remove police from from mental health crisis response.
0: I need to go back to something you said at the outset. Uh, and get your thoughts on this, because this one uh, just always confuses me. Uh, you mentioned, you alluded to the fact uh, that uh, the city closed mental health clinics, six mental health clinics. These are actual buildings, facilities in neighborhoods, generally uh, low-income, high-crime neighborhoods, where folks, everybody's losing their freaking mind these days in the city of Chicago, as we see uh, from that lawsuit regarding the mayor. Even the mayor seems to be having some issues just staying in control. So we're all under a lot of stress and strain in the city. Uh, I never, ever, ever understood why Rahm Emanuel thought it was a good idea to close six mental health clinics in, a, in a high crime areas. I'll never understand why the Chicago City Council voted 50 to nothing to uh, support that. But then the, uh, the icing in the cake of disbelief is that Mayor Lori Lightfoot who could gain nothing but applause from so many uh, progressives and lefties and mental health workers and just anybody with compassion won't reopen them. I mean, it's like, what? it's not her policy. What does she care? She can make ROM look bad by reopening Please explain to me you've been dealing in politics now as an elected official for two years. What is? Why is there a resistance to reopening those clinics? Uh, so that people can just drop in, they can have a regular connection with a therapist that's there. They don't have to dig it into their pockets to pay for it, and they can get the help that obviously everyone could use could use right now. Please explain to me the resistance. Go ahead.
1: I I, I think it's about neoliberalism. I mean, I think that Lori Lightfoot is a neoliberal politician, and and the, uh, the only government structure that they are like good to build is the police (laughs) i honestly don't think that there is an appetite to make significant investment in creating government jobs in spaces like you know mental health of the department of health like if you look at the department of health used to have hundreds of um of nurses and and health workers and when covid started the department of health had nothing The police was doing like checks on people. The police was like knocking on doors because you defunded the Department of Public Health. Then you have a crisis. And how do you respond? So I, I literally think that it is about the resistance to to create government jobs, the the idea that we need to save government we need to save we need to save money we need to get rid of you know all the positions that are necessary and then you cut all of the positions that actually provide you know a a safety net for our communities um so i i would i would actually say that that is that's the case um it it's sad it's sad to to see that play out and one of the i mean one of the main fights that we have right now is rebuilding that and you were talking about this is a moment when everybody's losing their minds, right? Everybody's on the edge. You're totally right, and not only because we just went through an incredibly traumatic event, um, which is the pandemic. But I was just—I was reading an article not long ago about how climate change is going to make public health problems a lot worse, and mental health is one of the most important parts of how climate change is going to alter our lives. And we're going to have to have infrastructure to deal with with the mental health issues that are going to arise. And you know, like when when there are mental health issues because of stresses of society, you you also have to contend with um, with with domestic violence, right? You have to contend with issues within the the nuclear family. You it it is something that has a ripple effect in the whole of society. And I don't think that we're taking that seriously enough. I think that as always in this system, governments do the bare minimum to prevent everything from spilling, right? So you just put patches here and there. And, and that's what, that's what the use of nonprofits has, has ended up being, right? Like, you just, you know, we are doing these massive investments when, when we demanded that the, that, that there was investment in the, in the mental health clinics in 2019, when I got elected, that was the main issue for me. And we were demanding that the mental health clinics were open and they were like, oh, we're going to do massive investments. We're going to do $11 million. We're going to invest in mental health. Where? Nonprofits. So you just give the money to nonprofits. One of the, one of the most terrible parts of this, of, of giving money to nonprofits like that, is the turnover rate. Because when you don't have stability or good jobs for, for people who are going to take on that job, they're going to burn out and they're going to leave. And you are never going to have a solid set of people that can train the new people that are coming in and you are not going to have continuity of care so this is this is these are jobs that require that you establish long-lasting relationships that are you know that you develop trust with clients and that can happen if you have a revolving door of 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 clinicians
0: by the way before we uh, move on from mental health i just have to have something i'm I meant to ask you when you said it you vote, you you uh, acknowledge that you voted for mayor lightfoot's budget this last time around uh and uh in the past, you hadn't voted uh, for her budget. Uh, she chastised Alderman who didn't vote for her budget uh, in those first t- couple of years. When you voted for it, did you get a phone call from her saying, "Hey, thank you for supporting my budget. thank you for uh, being a team player. Thank you for working with me for the better society for of Chicago Did you get any uh, any kind of acknowledgement for voting for her
1: no she wouldn't she wouldn't she wouldn't do that um and uh we we did we voted for the budget because we fought for something and we got something meaningful. And and I want to also say that I didn't vote for the budget just because I decided, okay, I'm going to vote for the budget. I was at a budget table with lots of community groups, with lots, lots of organizations that are deeply invested in the well-being of the city. And we made that decision together, right? Like, this was not just me saying, oh, I'm... I'm just, I'm going to go and vote for this budget. <laughs> this was, I'm going to vote for this budget because this is meaningful enough. And because there is enough funding in the ARPA money to be able to do meaningful work. As always, you know, you vote yes or you vote no. You still have to hold the administration accountable to do what they said that they were going to do. And that work, it doesn't matter if I vote it yes or no. I'm, I have to do it. Well,
0: um, I, I... I just would have thought that, uh, you know, if you're going to chastise you for not voting for the budget, then you would thank you for voting for the budget. Okay. I'm just saying that's how, like, like if you're just, I don't
1: think that's how the mayor sees things.
0: (laughs) I just watched, uh, this I don't want to go down this road because my next show that we're going to do, the next show is going to be a deep dive into one of the greatest movies ever made. I just watched it last night. And, Rosanna, it's been on my mind all day. And I, I watched The Godfather, which came out in 1972, long before you were born. So I don't know if you even saw it.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs>
0: such a – it's have you seen The Godfather? It's such a great movie. But there's this gangster attitude that uh, Michael Corleone has, Al Pacino has – and and he, you know what? i just been thinking about this because father didn't really have it as bad as Michael Corleone had. I'm now on a tangent here. And it's just like, I just realized that Marlon Brando was taller than Al Pacino. Who knows? But the point is, is that that intensity... You know, you can't just... you got to crush your opponent. You have to destroy your opponent. And to me, it's such a metaphor for Chicago. The Chicago mentality. I'm not from Chicago, Resented, but I've been here for so long. I, I know it. And I feel the way we do politics in this town is like a metaphor for the way like uh, gangbangers settle their differences. Gangsters settle their differences. I'm not going to beat you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to crush you. I'm going to own you. And I feel like... I just feel that's so embedded into the political culture of the city of Chicago. You know, I just went on that riff there when you, when you were talking about mental health clinics. But do you agree with me on that?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. There is there's definitely a, a, a culture that is pretty pervasive. But I, I also have, like, hope because there are some of us that have come in. And I think that we are doing politics from, you know, a spirit of, of community. Spirit of of love for people, like we we really want, like people to have what they need, and that is out of love. I come from, you know, I I, I ended up in politics, and I didn't mean to be in electoral politics. I've always been political, but I come from a community. I was actually um, thinking about this yesterday, and I was talking to some people because yesterday was um, National Coming Out of the Shadows Day, and. Uh, when I first came to Chicago, I, I worked as a, as a theater director with uh, with the Albany Park Theater Project, and we were doing a play about immigration and the immigration, um, the broken immigration system that we have, and um, in the process of creating that play, I was I was a lot of things for the play. I was a songwriter, I was a director, but I was also an ethnographer, and a lot of the stories that we told, I went out in the community to get them. And because of my background, when when we started doing the play about about immigration, I wanted to talk to the people that were organizing, right? I wanted to talk to the people that were trying to change that reality, not just the people to whom these things happen, but who's trying to change. And at that point, Eagle was being formed, and these young people were actually trying to change the immigration system by saying, I'm undocumented, and I'm going tell, to tell it to your face. And I dare you to try to kick me out of here. I belong here. These were like 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds and 16-year-olds that were that were doing this. So when I start doing these interviews, I start bringing my young people with me from the theater company and they they start being exposed to these young people that are so brave and then many of my young people realize that they are undocumented too and they join the, the kids that are protesting, and I go with them downtown to give a speech about how they're undocumented and they're going to stay here and they're not going to apologize. And that experience just changed me to see young people out there willing to risk everything to to, to make a point and to move immigration and immigrant rights to the forefront of social movements, right? And, I, and to me, coming from a community that was incredibly organized, you know, my first fight was for water. To me, that was everything. I was like, I am staying in Chicago because these people fight like hell, <laughs> just like where I come from. <laughs> and, and since then, I have been fighting Like, the whole time, for immigrant rights, for housing, for because everything is a fight. We don't get access to anything freely or easily. We just have to fight like hell. And we fight from a place of love. And I really hope that at some point this city does policy and governs from a place of love, because that is what we need.
0: Yeah, oh, that's really well put. Govern from a place of love. And I got to tell there's some... uh, I could think of three new aldermen uh, who accentuate this all the time, uh, and what you and Maria had, I got to give a shout out to Maria Haden because whenever she uh, makes a statement, she's always talking about lo- just, just basically accentuating that theme about. You know how we treat one another and uh, the amount of respect that we should accord one another. I, it, I feel like she's just always admitting that. And I always appreciate that. Yes. I, I don't think I tell her that enough. You know what I mean? I appreciate you saying that because Chicago, it's like the, you went up, you had to go against the Mel's. We're going to crush you. We're going to kill you. We're going to ruin your family. Gangster guys, man. You watched Godfather too many times. Uh, by the way, The Godfather is really a movie about a dysfunctional family. I'm just going to throw that out there to you and uh, just think about that one for a while. Um, uh,
1: no, Maria, right. Maria Maria, is 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 a great example because, yes. yes, she talked about how we need to treat one another. She always treats people with respect, always. Even, I don't know if you saw that email that was leaked when Napolitano just like sent this email just saying, that's great stuff and she was so respect- even when she dissed him she was respectful in the way in which she did it which I thought was just incredible. I I I let her know.
0: <laughs> no no she's she's good because you know because me, you know me now. I'm all violent, throwing my hands in the air getting red in the face and she's like really cool, you know and <laughs> well Ben, that's calm down there. Um but uh Matt Martin's out that like that too and a rookie alderman who always sends out that good vibe. All right uh So um, let's talk about the inspector general, uh, since we're talking about uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, We're running out of time here. but This is, uh, of course, the official in the city of Chicago who's supposed to uh, be like the overseer, uh, the oversight, uh, to make sure that uh, we're abiding by the rules and the regulations, we're doing things the right way. Uh it's like a check and a balance of the mayor, and this weird institution, the way we run things in Chicago, <laughs> the mayor gets to name that person. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's so weird. I mean, I know everybody in the city loves their mayor, and they want an all-powerful mayor, but it just seems to me that you might, I don't know, if the person overseeing the mayor might be really independent. Uh, maybe I want to rethink that one a little bit. It's been vacant since Joe Ferguson stepped down. I can't remember how long that's been. Now I read in the bright one the Sun Times. uh they they sources say they've never. I love when they go Sources say they never named the source that they've narrowed it to two. Uh, what do you know about the vacancy, and uh, what would you like to see from the new Inspector General?
1: I mean, I, I think that the the seat for the Inspector General, if we were actually, if we had a mayor committed to transparency and to good government, there is no question that the person that should be in that seat is Deborah Witzberg. And I don't know if people know this, but the Office of the Inspector General is the only office, the only department in the whole city that achieved full compliance with the consent decree certified by a judge. And that is the work of Deborah Woodsburg. She was the one that took the, the Office of the Inspector General to full compliance with the consent decree. No other agency has been able to do that. So why would you want anybody else on that seat? When she has done the work, she knows exactly what that office needs to do. And she knows what the city needs to do to be able to comply with the consent decree. Um, an incredibly knowledgeable person. I, I, and at that, somebody that is really good at working with aldermen. I cannot think about somebody that was more helpful to me as a rookie when I came in and I was trying to navigate um, lots of different things that I just didn't know about. And, and her and Joe were incredibly helpful to us rookies to be able to understand how we can push for better practices in the city. Uh, I, I, I don't even understand. Um, I, I mean, and, and I, I'm pretty sure that the mayor is not going to want Deborah whisper in that seat. And I think that it is very important that we make a lot of noise about it, and that people let the mayor know that this—that I mean, this is a really, really, really important office. Um, that if we are committed to transparency and we are committed to good government, it needs to be run by uh, somebody that that can embody those those ideas and and, and that vision. Um, so I I don't know who the two. <laughs> Uh, finalists are. I hope that Deborah is one of them. Um, and I hope that that the mayor is going to have some clarity in this moment um, because th- it would be really hard <laughs> to see somebody else in that seat knowing that, that Deborah has done so much for that office and to, to, to get that office to, to do what it needs to do.
0: Well, for what it's worth, the article I read in the Sun-Times uh, said that according to sources, unnamed sources, uh, Deborah, who was an assistant uh, to uh, the, uh, Joe Ferguson, uh, was one of the two finalists. She was so, the
1: deputy. She was the deputy inspector general on in public safety. Right. And that woman is a force of nature. She knows everything. She knows everything. <laughs> and wow. I, I, would also love to see a woman in as as inspector general. I think she would be an incredible, um, an incredible inspector general.
0: All right, uh, so I'm going to close with something that I uh, popped into my head when you were talking. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to set it up with, by, with an explanation to get your response. I, I, a lot of times I tend to articulate uh, the bleakness of it all, the gloom and doom of it all. Uh, I, I've been doing it. I've been fighting this fight for many, many years, uh, Rosanna, and it just changes so slow and, or it doesn't happen at all. And so one of the fights... Uh, that I waged for a long time uh, was against the $1.3 billion expenditure Uh, that Mayor Rahm got the city council to approve right before he left office for the Lincoln Yards development, which is an upscale uh, development in an already gentrifying neighborhood. The city has so many pressing needs. (laughs) We talk about nurses. We talk about social workers. We talk about people to uh, do conflict resolution. We talk about teachers. We talk about paying our pension bills. We have so many needs, but they kicked all this money in to give rich developers... Even more money than they already have to build like upscale communities. I just don't understand. I just don't understand the values of the city of Chicago. I'm reading this article in the Bright One, the Sun Times today, and Delia Ramirez, who's running for Congress, uh, had a poll, and they put the poll out. The purpose of them leaking the poll, obviously, was to show that Delia Ramirez was looking pretty good in her run against um, uh, uh, Villegas for Congress. But this is the part that really blew my mind that I want to share with you. So they had a list of all the, the people's reaction who live in that district, which is your ward is in this northwest side district. And, you know, how do you think about uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot? She, she did really bad. How do you think about uh, J.B. Pritzker? He did really well. The lowest thing on the poll, the lowest. I couldn't believe it. I can't believe it. Thirteen percent approval rating for Lincoln Yards. They threw Lincoln Yards in there, and I'm like, Hallelujah! I'm always making fun of the people in the city of Chicago, saying how dumb they are. They vote for these mayors and that and the other thing. Rosanna, you, they may not be as dumb as I say, and I want to apologize <laughs> to the people in the city of Chicago, at least those who live in this newly drawn <laughs> congressional district.
1: I don't know if you. The of the third congressional district.
0: <laughs> Oh, so you're saying the people outside of the third are dumb. Go ahead, but yeah. Did you see that? Go ahead. I have
1: heard heard several people talk about that district um, as a moderate district. I don't think that's true. Bernie Sanders actually won every election in that area. Um, I mean, I got elected, like, you know, talking about how we needed to take money from from police and like fund public fund social services. Um, so I I actually think that there is a, a really good amount of people first that are paying attention, um, and and second that are very progressive. And I I am really hoping that that's going to be the case. I think Delia is an incredible candidate. She has accomplished really incredible things. She's a proven progressive. Has a, a, an incredible track tra- record of of um, of progressive legislation, um, she has accomplished things that I actually didn't think would be possible in Springfield. So I'm I'm excited to support her, and I I I'm super excited uh, uh, about a progressive in in Congress representing us.
0: All right, well, uh, that was a very good answer to that question. And so, uh, citizens of Chicago, at least the third uh, district, I apologize. Uh, and maybe what you're saying, is,
1: Ben, it was really satisfying to see that 13 for for Lincoln.
0: <laughs> did you? I mean, did you feel the same way? I'm like, whoa! I got, and I mean, why? I don't. I didn't know why the. I I, I know why the pollster asked that question. Now it just popped in my head because uh, Viegas voted for that deal. And uh, so I'm sure, uh, just thinking this through, uh, they're looking for campaign issues to run against them. And when they see, when they were looking, they throw that out there and see it's at 13%. They're probably going to do some flyers about it. But whatever. The point is, is that I think the people in Chicago know what's going on and are a lot smarter than I give them credit for. So uh, my apology. I'm, I'm, I'm sum- summoning up my inner Maria Haddon to send out positive vibrations. Uh, we as,
1: have I think that it's really important that we focus on 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 things that unite us and that bring us together because the right is coming, the right is emboldened, and if we don't find the the common grounds and the things that we can fight for together, we're going to be eaten alive and we can't allow that to happen. There's way too much at stake
0: uh, and let me uh close by asking you this. Uh it we I can't believe the time flies so fast. The next election cycle's uh next year. Have you already committed to running for re-election or uh, are you still thinking about it? Go ahead.
1: Yeah, no. I I am definitely running for re-election. There's many projects that we have started um that we want to see through. Um and I think that the practices that we have set up in the office in terms of democracy and participation for the community are things that we want to be able to make even better and strengthen. Um, so I, I'm excited, actually, to to run again. And um, I, I, <laughs> I, this is a really hard job, but I, I do think that we have done a lot of good and that we can do a lot more.
0: All right. Very good. Uh, Rosanna, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me Uh, Always fun talking to you.
1: Same. Thank you for having me, Ben.